0: One small step for man. one for Columbia, Columbia. <laughs> Houston, the now. you going to the Hello, folks, and welcome. To the TKW podcast. I'm Matt Spendley, and I'm joined tonight by Kyle Maggio. Going on, fellas. And Anthony Corvo. Yes. Boys, enormous win over the Atlanta Hawks tonight. Just absolutely enormous.
1: Surprising almost back. for
0: a moment. It, it was. D- it was close. It was. They scared us a little bit at the end, mm-hmm. but the Knicks end up pulling out a win in Atlanta thanks mostly to. A big third quarter. Uh, we saw some big performances with Tim Hardaway, despite some inefficient shooting. Although he was a team leading plus twenty, he was welcome. He was a known.
1: welcome addition to the lineup,
0: and his canter with seventeen off the bench. Alonzo Trier was sixteen. Uh, so, first impressions from the game tonight. What are we thinking, fellas? Uh,
1: start. It. Yeah, I was going to say, Kyle starts with Frank Ntilikina. Yep. It just his, like, he hit a transition three. When's the last time, like, when's the last time that even happened? Who knows? Like, he just looked confidently shooting the ball for a lot of tonight. I know he had the air ball, and that seemed to shake him a little bit, but Frank Nielakina shooting, uh, you know, looked decent reading the lanes. His defense was incredible. He was able to reach his arm into a couple of loose ball situations and come up with steals. Um, Definitely the bounce-back game that Frank needed after a horrendous game against the Bulls.
2: Yeah, no. I mean, the biggest thing was, you know, we have to argue with people a lot of times about if he's going to be the answer or point guard going forward because of his lack of scoring ability. But it's funny what he, we always argue about, well, you guys have to look at the defense, the defense, the defense, and that's generally always there. And then on a, a night like tonight where the first two and a half quarters, you saw the defense and the offense clicking for him. And then you could just see how dramatic of an impact that has. And I, that was one thing I noticed. It's like, it's one thing when he's just playing defense. And it's another thing when he's playing defense and he's giving you, you know, 10, 11 points in the first half. So it's, it's 100%. nice to see. And especially with a matchup, like, you know, Trey Young to kind of shut that kind of a talent down entirely. He yep. was 0 for 4 through the first, again, two yep. and a half quarters. And I think Trey Young's first basket on Frank came on a layup. It was, and it was, a, it was a good layup, a tough layup, but it was in um, the third. And that came with, yep, seven minutes in uh, left in the third quarter so yeah
1: that was something that was that, that was the
2: big thing tonight
1: that was something that stone and i were talking about on the uh on the twitch channel the pregame show we were doing um you know we were playing Knicks versus hawks and i was just like a lot of this game is gonna, is gonna come down to whether or not frank Neal can comfortably lock up trey young and i thought trey young maybe looked a little bit uncomfortable out there today as well uh he, seemed oh, he to be certainly a, did. He seemed to be a bit hesitant, and I don't know if I can attribute all of that to to Frank Nielakina's defense, but he absolutely impacted him out there, and that was a
0: big key to getting that win tonight. Kyle, uh, that goofy gift that you posted of him with the binoculars had me dying. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. <laughs> that was cracking me I, up. I, like, didn't, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't see it before either. either so, <laughs> I think most of it can be attributed to Frank's defense because we've seen yeah. we've we've all been excited for this matchup. I think. This was also the first matchup of the year, if we'll recall. And I know that we spent time on this program talking about this matchup. We saw it in Summer League. These guys go head-to-head because it's the classic offense-defense showdown. And Young did end up with 15 points, mostly in the second half. It came at the end of the game. He had you know, only one three. He looked uncomfortable for most of the night. And. Frank's the type of guy that can take him out of his game. You got to push Trey Young around. That's how you get to him. You, you need to be more physical because he's still going to be at a disadvantage in that facet of the game just because of his size. But Frank and company did a really nice job tonight shutting down Trey Young. You know who stinks? Kent Bazemore stinks. Matt, I have, got a little little trivia question for you
2: because you pointed it out. So does Kent Bazemore make roughly about the same amount of money as Tim Hardaway Jr.
0: I think they have nearly the exact same contract. Interesting. Interesting. No. Yeah, no, no more questions. Full statistic for you. I normally like Kent Paysmore. I've liked him in the past, but I haven't been very impressed with him recently. I th- And he was especially awful tonight. I was also, a, I, I loved Villanova in college uh, last year. I I really enjoyed that Villanova team. Omari Spellman on NBA court just cracks me up. Like. He looks like he needs to lose about 25 pounds to really play. He looks like every week center. <laughs> we need to have Ennis Cantor bully him. Like he bullied Jared Dudley into losing weight like three years down the road when Spellman's like on the oh, verge of. Oh, I forgot about, about that. <laughs> oh, what a cut. <laughs> I love you, Omari. I love you, buddy. But, you know, it, it's just funny to see guys like that in NBA court. It just, it cracks me up. Um, so beyond that, beyond Omari Spellman's uh, questionable weight, we saw Noah Vonley with, I think he had a double-double in the first quarter. It was good to see energy from him. He played 39 minutes tonight, which is crazy. Fizz ends up toying with these guys' minutes a lot due to the flow of a game, which I think can sometimes be a blessing and a curse in a way, because we've seen Vonley play 10 or 15 minutes in the last four or five games. Some of that's due to foul trouble. But then we see him play 39 tonight. We've seen Dotson play almost 30 minutes every single game, only plays 18 tonight, really quiet game for Dotson. And you'll see, uh, I know some people were commenting on the lack of Kevin Knox tonight. He only played nine minutes, but I think the Knicks are just trying to wean him back in and get back, him comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you also have some wing options that are playing well, when you have minutes that you need to give to Trier and, you know, for, for better or worse, they're, they're giving a lot of minutes to Emmanuel Moutier you're going to have to to pull some strings in a certain way to make everyone be able to get on the court. And Fizz is still toying with it. I still have issues with lineup construction, but with the way that it's going, I'd rather question a decision about him throwing a bunch of young guys together to see if it works than him just playing these units that don't make a lot of sense together for elongated periods of time. So tonight I wasn't as perturbed as I've been in the past, but neither here nor there. Do you, do you guys have any... In, in, on the, the lineup decisions that Fizz made. Any, any issues with
1: him? Um, I wouldn't say outright issues. Um, it's, I was kind of saying this earlier tonight, too, but I think Mario Hazonia is a, is a bit of a wild card, and we saw where he was helpful. I thought he was very helpful in the game against the Bulls, uh, especially in moments on the second unit when he was kind of running the point, and he and Cantor obviously had a great dynamic last game. Um, a bit of an inconsistent showing from him tonight, and then he came back in with Vonley, Uh, yeah, you know, when uh, when uh, Frank fouled out, and then he and Vonley have been switching on and off. So, um, I don't know. I'd still like to see a little bit more consistency, but I know how early it is in the season. So, and it's obviously a rebuilding team. So, I, I don't think I have any major critiques at the moment. Yeah, I don't have any
2: real issues with it. I generally enjoy when a, a coach coaches this way and manages the lineup this way when it basically goes by not really the hot hand, but, you know, like you said, whoever's playing well. And I just think, I think that's it basically generally... the
0: hot hand though. Like, I think that that's kind of how I would sum it up. If I had to describe it to someone, that's kind We've of how it that... goes with his lineup decisions. Yeah. We see hey, that from but Burke Burke to me and like that, especially Burke and for yeah. sure, And Burke did not play a single second of basketball tonight, Incredible. which was not.
2: Yeah. That was one of my points too, which was, uh, and I spelled it out, you know, Admit it, Moody has actually been pretty solid these last couple of games. He's been good
0: and starting. I don't expect that to continue, but he's been nice.
2: Yeah, I mean, I went back and rewatched the Chicago game and I mean, he was a little inefficient, but overall he played pretty well. I don't want to, despite his MO being inefficient, I don't want to actually peg that kind of thing on him because he's still kind of working his way back in. But um, tonight he looked, I mean, he, he started out miserably tonight. He had a terrible first half. I think he got swatted three times, missed his first four shots, yeah. just getting stuffed. And they weren't even like good stuffs so where a guy just makes a good athletic play. Like it was like right as he was releasing the ball from his hands, it just hits him and his back rolls off, like those kinds. But um, after that, he looked really good. I mean, he finished with what do you have? 11, four of eight shooting. He just a uh, marksman from deep, three of three tonight. Uh, five some rebounds. Some say Ray three, Allen's six. like, huh? Yeah, so some would. Some would say. <laughs> um, but he played pretty well. And uh, I didn't think his defense was outstanding, but I mean, we've seen him play far worse on that, that he, than he did tonight. So uh, as a whole uh, between tonight
0: and the Chicago game, I thought he's been pretty good. Yeah. Well, let's and I touch thought on that Oh, sorry, just a little more. Yeah. Corbo, you have something to say about Moutier. Yeah.
1: The only other thing I wanted to add on Moudier is that he, and I noticed this cause I just watched the Chicago game again today as well. And I noticed that the one thing that he's been really good at, that no other Nick has really been able to capture in the same way, is being able to change the pace of the game. Like, he came in, uh, especially against the Bulls, but he came in, and he was just like, he was just, they were so stagnant, the mo- the ball is moving from east to west only, and Moutier came in, he was able to find some penetration, he was able to get some of the bigs moving, even Mary Hazonia was able to cut in from the three-point line and get to the rim a little bit more. And I think Moutier perpetuated a lot of that. And they constantly call him their best passer. So if he can kind of follow up on these two performances, I think there might be some interesting lineup options you can put out there.
0: I think that's a reason why Fisdale has liked Moutier because of what you just mentioned, because he can push the pace. He can work in transition a bit more than someone like Trey Burke can. Again, I don't think that we have any reason to believe that Moutier will continue to play well. But until he starts to look like the Moutier that we have come to know to be the player uh, that we think he is, and at this point feel pretty sure about the player that he is, there's no reason why Trey Burke shouldn't be you know, doing what he did tonight, which is not playing. So moving forward, then that's the question I want to pose to you guys, and I'll ask Kyle first. How do you want to see that guard rotation go out? Are you okay at this stage of the game with Moutier playing these minutes at the expense of Trey Burke? Yeah, I mean, I just think that,
2: uh, you know, we expected Burke's numbers to regress, and I know you were a big proponent of that, but um, they kind of, I mean, it was pretty steep so far this year, and then he doesn't really bring anything for you on the defensive end, he doesn't really bring anything for you um, in terms of pushing the pace, or even his assist numbers aren't spectacular, so Moutier at least tries to do those other things. Like defensively, he was pretty active tonight, too. I know he's not in the best of shape yet, but he was pretty active. He's working the ball around. I mean, you know, Corbo mentioned that, you know, Fisdale says he's the best passer on the team, which I, th- or of the guards at least. And I think that's true, but I also think it's a low bar to clear because that Burke's not particularly good and Frank's not quite the passer he needs to be right now. So, you know, I, I do think that Moody playing ahead of Burke's makes more sense when you got a guy who's working the ball around. You know, he's probably trying a little bit harder defensively and if he's gonna score kinda
0: like this, then he kinda gotta roll with that because Burke wasn't giving you much before it. Do you remember what my hot take was before the season about Trey Burke?
2: I don't remember the hot take. I just remember you saying that his numbers were going to regress pretty steeply.
0: I said this is probably going overboard, but I said by the time February or March, hits, Trey Burke will be a bench warm run on this team and won't be playing. It's only November, boys, and look where we are. I yeah. do wonder how much of it. I think you're,
2: I think you're correct, but I do wonder how much of it is. Um, we've seen Fizdale like really rip and scale rolls back swiftly, oh, yeah. like we saw it's with game Kander. to game. It's game to it's game. Not, I'm just being a day. So, I don't know. What I know, but <laughs> it, like it, it, it makes me think like of the dynamic that we're seeing right now with the team. I guess. I'm trying to think of the last time we've seen coaches fluctuate significant roles like this before, like really severely. Like Cantor would start on a lot of teams, you know, Cantor should actually start on this team. And he's just like, yeah, hey, now you're going to sit. And then you just see guys get like Lance was a starter two weeks ago and then they get an illness tonight. But, you know, just the way that the minutes fluctuate from. Thirty plus minutes a night to well now you're just not gonna play at all. I I'm trying to and I think like next week we'll see Burke me, back in playing thirty plus again. So it's just very strange.
1: It kinda of reminds me a little bit of a lower stakes version of what the Lakers are going through. Where you have like you have all these veterans who are in there right now and you have the young guys that they want to play, but the Knicks are in a better situation than them because they just have young guys who are trying to establish something. So Fizdale really has true freedom to go with the you know, go with the hot hand. Go with who's making sense at the moment, and then try something new if that stops working. You know, like it's pressure, but it's kind of a positive pressure on these other guys to just keep on performing. Um, versus where the Lakers is everything like we have LeBron James, we need to win now, um, and you know they're just trying to find the best thing that's going to work in the moment. It's like I feel like they're having a similar lineup crisis, but we just have way less of a panic about it.
0: I love that point, Carbo, and I want to. Into that a bit more because this is a Knicks team. All of these young guys, they need to prove that they can play in order to hit the floor. Look at Trey Burke. He was playing, you know, 20, 25 minutes. All of a sudden, Moudier comes back. Moudier has been playing well. Trey Burke is a DNP. We could see if if Damian Dotson has another tough game, maybe Dotson gets swapped out of the starting lineup. Maybe if, you know, Moudier starts to heat up, they do something strange like that. I wouldn't be surprised if Fizz makes those decisions. It puts a lot of pressure. On all of the players and I think it's mostly a positive pressure to play well it puts a fire under their ass it's saying you need to be the player that's going to contribute in the way that you are supposed to on this team in order to get the minutes that you think you deserve and it's we talked about this ad nauseum about the keep what you kill the the mentality that you need to play up to the standard to be able to play on the new york knicks this season and i think it's going to be frustrating for these guys and from a fan perspective it can be frustrating at times But luckily. The minutes typically aren't coming at the expense of some veteran and that's why it's so great to have a young team because think about last year when the knicks had Jarrett jack and at the end when they started to play poorly we were all like why is jared jack playing so many minutes this year the only guy i think you could say that about who's playing like oh my god why is he playing so many minutes is ennis canter but i don't think anyone really has that mentality for cantor because when he's on the floor he's still a productive player his usefulness can be debated but his production is always there when he's on the floor so you have to love what fizz's mentality and what his structure has in store for these players and what they could learn from it moving forward
2: yeah but i mean it, it does build the points that he was talking about all summer like you just mentioned and we were really worried about that too you know how many times have we heard all the things that we wanted to hear and the little pr tours and yeah. it's obviously still early into his contract and and this season overall but it matches up. That's all we could hope for is it's matched up. And it builds that, you know, next man up mentality nicely. So it builds that camaraderie that nobody's really too important on this team. The only one you could probably argue is Tim Hardaway Jr. whose spot in minutes are a virtual lock, given his, you know, uh, share of the shots are pretty much a lock uh, every night that he's going to be in the lineup. But everybody else, it just seems like, hey, man, like you're here as long as you want to be. And if you're not going to play well, then there's somebody else who will. So it's a nice – when we talk about the culture shit and about making sure it's legitimate, it's that kind of stuff that you want to see.
0: I know we probably have the the brand of being the pro Tim Hardaway podcast and in this juncture of Nick's Twitter, and I think Kyle and I specifically have really sat in that corner. I'm going to give an anti-Hardaway take. I can't stand him in close games. I can't because he has this – Like I need to shoot the basketball. Mm -hmm. I'm the highest paid player on this team. I need to completely control the game. And I was sitting there watching with my roommates and I'm saying, he's not the guy that I want to be taking these shots. Work the offense. If you can get him a good three point shot, obviously I'll feel good about that. He's your best shooter, but he just gets in this. I need to score. I need to drive. I need to take the contested layup. I need to take the step back three. They need to make sure he knows the end of the game. Run our offense, man. You don't need to do everything. It's okay. I agree with you, man. He wants to be that star. It's just frustrating.
1: I agree with you, but there, there's okay. There's a couple of things here. The first one is like, look at where the team was last game when Tim Hardaway Jr. wasn't there. Especially less so in close games we were talking about, but more like starting games off and just the general pace of that game up until it got close in like the fourth quarter. You know, without Hardaway there, these guys looked lost. They didn't know where to go the one thing that I think that a lot of these players who are on the Knicks right now need to learn more than anything is how to react off the ball and how to be moving around the court when they are not the focal point of the offense. And I think having Tim Hardaway Jr. There an established steady player in this prime, but not a a veteran too old uh, to be able to take those shots and be able to run things for them while they kind of operate and figure out where they need to be is very beneficial to these players uh, as they begin to develop.
0: For sure. For sure, and I think that's a great point about just the presence that he has on this team because they don't have a lot of shot creators that can also distribute the basketball. And we know Hardaway is not some sort of aficionado running the pick and roll. I'm definitely saying his praises because I think he's underrated in that, but I also don't think that he's some sort of, you know, unearthed gem in that part of his game, but his ball handling is valuable and his ability to work and distract the defense is definitely valuable and they need that and it's nice to have that it's just at the end of games i can find him to be overbearing i feel like that's only been the last four or five games if i'm not because
2: i feel like earlier in the year a, a lot of what was fun about what they were doing was it was in the flow of the offense and i feel like you and i were pushing for like look at all these clean looks he's getting like the entire game like it seemed like his shot uh selection at the time was mostly cleaned up i feel like The last couple of games, he's really been trying to gun to keep it, you know, the the guys back in it. That's just, I have no statistics. It was just something that I've noticed the last couple of games. It looks like he's pressing a bit more.
0: Yeah. And like, that's who he really is at the heart of his game. And as much as we enjoy him and think that he can be a bit underrated amongst the Knicks community and potentially in the greater NBA community, I think that he is what he is. And that sometimes can just be an overbearing player, especially at the end of the games. Yeah. The, the last thing
2: I want to say on Hardaway though is to that. I think that's okay. If he's, if that is who he is, as long as he's always shooting 50% of his shots from deep, that's the first thing
0: and getting to the and, line 20 times. Yeah. I mean, he, I that. mean, he, no, no, no. I mean,
2: that was, I was going to touch on him doing that tonight. That's something that you would like to see him incorporate more of is unrealistic, obviously, but yeah. if he can get to the line like six times a game. Like that would be big. So him just drawing a little bit more contact, but Honestly, I'm not going to really gripe about his shot selection too much as long as a lot of those are value shots with the threes. Like if everything's like a pull-up contested three, then then sure. But generally, the threes are the good looks. And then you know what happens when he gets inside the paint sometimes in the half court. So if half his shots are going to come from outside, I'm going to try to withhold my you know judgment of his shot selection too much.
0: Agreed. And he's not going to shoot two of 11 from deep every night. You know, it's an no. outlier tonight. Guys. I have a take that's going to sound a little crazy when I say it, but if the season continues as it is, it's going to be 100% true. You guys ready? Yep. Bring it. Alonzo Trier is going to be the best undrafted rookie of all time. He's going to have the best. Whoa! No, no, no. Listen to me. Listen to me. I want to make this clear. I probably didn't make that clear enough. He is going to have the best seasoned by an undrafted rookie of all okay. time That's, is that clear that is more believable yes <laughs> you see what i did there though no you i see, see what you little, did throw there. throw it up for him with the crazy one and then just pull. No, it you back. got me real hot and then you pulled yes. me back down you cool <laughs> me off but, i tweeted this out but I, I looked this up no player in the history of the nba and obviously the way that the draft used to be it, it gets all jumbled up but No player since 2000 has averaged over 10 points while playing at least 50 games in an NBA season that was undrafted. And Trier, obviously, now is averaging about 12. So in the modern NBA, in the last 20 or so years, he's been a uniquely productive undrafted player. And I know we we like to joke with the undrafted thing, and that's not stopping anytime soon, and I hope it doesn't because it's freaking hilarious. So, but I, I mean that. Like, I think that it's a it's a really special season from an undrafted player. And while I've said a few times I'm a little more bearish on him than most, it's really a special, special thing to have a guy that they got on the night of the draft after the 60th pick was made, playing 36 minutes in the 12th game of the season and and putting up 16 points in a game.
2: No, I still think the funniest thing with Trey is. This year, I admittedly watched little to no college basketball. You know, we've covered who I specifically was looking for last year, but I still like the reference. The day that uh, I was going over the all the trier tape, and then you and I hopped on. Uh, it was the summer league pod, and and right before we started, you know, going live, I was like, "How, like, how is he, like, how is he undrafted?" Yeah, I remember that was one of my first comments. I was like, Yeah, maybe maybe there's something I'm missing. And then we talked about it for a little bit, and you mentioned some of the off-court stuff, the PED issues. But I was like, He just looks like a like a grown man. I mean, all the things that he's good at, you would want to be good at in the
0: NBA. It it seems like it's been you know directly transferable. You know, it was cracking me up. uh, Stone was doing the tweets tonight, and obviously we have a bunch of different people man the Twitter account for the games. And the first summer league game. I tweeted the first Summer League game, and I made the joke about the tunnel vision ISOZO, mm-hmm. and now that's been defined for some people, and that's stuck in their brains. So people are tweeting at us while Stone's tweeting for the <clears> game, <throat> like, you trashed on uh, Alonzo Trier during the Summer League. You can't say anything good about him. And I'm sitting there, like, just laughing. I'm like, oh, that, wasn't, that wasn't him. But <laughs> you keep getting that. It. It's all right. I, I'm still enjoying it from over in my perch over here. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, he, he was... He was a lot of fun to get today. He was very efficient. I know he was a little inefficient in Chicago. Um, he was struggling with a lot of the traps and doubles and occasionally triple teams they were sending at him. So uh, they're sending like a lot of high traps in Chicago, but here they didn't really care to do that because it's the Hawks. So nice little five mm-hmm. out of nine game, one of two from deep. And uh, he just, he gets to the line a lot too. I mean, he draws he a lot does. of contact when he goes in. And, and uh, I know, I think Matt and Reed touched on it couple of games ago about how when he drives in he's nice and patient and keeps the defender right on his hip so i mean that helps him once he gets to the lane and then he just goes right up and bang tries to draw the foul or an add one and it's just you love seeing that from your guards easy points
1: i do think he's incredibly adept when he gets into the lane because like he even uh there was a one blow by he had passed vince carter earlier tonight but like just the way that he you know he like gets into his position he, he starts driving he cradles the ball really well i noticed like mm-hmm. he has that ball tucked away and then he just slides it in up over the hoop and into the rim and it's just he's really really good at making that happen he's good at getting to the line like you said that's that's really encouraging moving forward i am just a little bit worried about what his rookie wall might look like if that were to happen to him like especially just because we saw how shook he looked against the bulls for a lot of that game. Like he just could not escape the double team. And there's a couple of times, especially even tonight where I just saw he had some pretty poor clock management. It resulted in some turnovers last game, especially. Um, And then there was, you know, there, there were just moments where he looks a little bit unaware on the court. So I'd I'd like to see him be able to kind of, get his basketball IQ up a little bit more while still being able to dominate in an isolation sense? I don't know. What do you guys think?
0: I'll bet on Trier, if only because I think he strikes me as the type of guy that can push past a, a rookie wall. He is balls to the wall. He's clearly passionate about the game. And I'll bet on a guy like that 10 times out of 10. He keeps this chip on his shoulder. We can talk about you know some of his shooting could come back and, you know, his, his mid range game, obviously he relies on that a lot. I wish he would shoot more threes. He took two tonight and nailed one, but he's also really adept around the rim. You mentioned he has some really nifty finishes in his back pocket. So I think there's still a lot of room for him to grow. I've mentioned about him fitting in lineups and I'm wondering if he can really be, you know, a second or third option in a lineup, if he's comfortable doing that just because of the way that he plays the number one thing—I don't know if I said this when we talked on Monday—the number one thing that has impressed me, that's a low-key part of his game that I don't think is getting enough attention—is his patience, both with the basketball and when he's running a pick and roll. He takes his time to find the spot of the defense that's going to be weak, and he attacks it. He takes his time. He looks. He evaluates the defense. He says, "Where is that guy going to go?" We've we talked about the play in Dallas where he kept Doncic on his hip. Mm-hmm. He's done that a few other times, and he has such a nice array of moves around the rim that that patience is really important. It's like Le'Veon Bell's a running back, right? Which I guess doesn't exactly. work as well anymore because he hasn't played all season, but <laughs> it's like that. Like having yeah. that patience is just super important in the pick and roll and for a running back.
2: I mean, the, not, not even really segue, but I, I was just thinking about the other guard that's been playing well, too, that had a really quiet night was Dame Dotson. And one shot tonight, which is strange. He scored double digits in every game that he's played significant minutes in, and just three points on one-of-one one shooting. Just a really...
1: He looked dominant oddly quiet for night. most of the season. I mean, we were even talking about it in the chat, like... Pretty much look to be behind Hardaway and Cantor, like the go-to guy in the team. And, yeah, pretty invisible looking tonight.
0: Yeah, that's right. I think a player like him, a game like this, is bound to happen every once in a oh, while sure. because a lot of his offense comes in the flow of, of the team. But defensively, I think he impresses me. He contests almost every shot. But yep. He is incredible at contesting jump shooters. It's a skill that is absolutely needed. In a team that has some guys that overcommit on defense and aren't exactly, you know, able to, to shut guys down beyond a couple of guys we know that are great defenders. But Dotson, in terms of contesting shots, something he does incredibly well.
2: Yeah, I mean, having him and Frank out there in the first half was just lovely. I mean, it was just a, a difficult time for Atlanta when those two were out. But um, they just and the, the fun thing about both those guys, too, and Dotson is really good around, uh, about getting around screens. Like he just fights over him half the time, gets through him, and you just love to see that from your guards. Just love the way that guy plays. Absolutely. All right.
0: Are you guys worried about Kevin Knox at all?
2: No, but I mean, it was a shit game, but no.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not.
1: I I'll give him some time to come back. That was a nasty ankle sprain that he had. Yeah, you what know, that set him out. Like he really rolled that thing over. Um. So you know, he he gets a couple games of leeway for sure. He, that being said, he hasn't really impressed at all this season. Um, but, you know, 19 years old, rookie year. Uh, you know, well, I'll, I will give him until, like, the end of this calendar year, at least before I start levying any kind of heavy criticism on him. But it would just and be nice to
0: see that scoring coming around. Yeah, and I wouldn't say he hasn't impressed at all, because he did have that 17-point game in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah, in the that's true. Yeah. yeah, and then he, he hurt his ankle in the next game. But, yeah, I agree. He just looks rusty the jumper looks rusty. I liked the three point opportunities he got. They came nicely. And I've said about his form, I think that he's going to be a good three point shooter in due time. We'll see it come. Luckily with the way this team is going, the Knicks are not exactly relying on Knox as much as we might've thought they were in the off season. So it's been nice because they've been able to kind of ease him back in and, you know, he played five minutes and then he played nine minutes. And, and Fizz said before the game, he was going to play a higher chunk of minutes, but not kill him. And he played four more minutes from the last game. That's totally fine. Let him come along. The Knicks have enough wing options that they can pick up in his stead and, until they get there. I have a, a general question about how the Knicks have been operating. So we saw them shift their starting lineup earlier in the season. They started with, you know, Trey Burke in there and Ennis Cantor. And since they've gone to the Neil Aquina, Hardaway, Dotson, Robinson, Vonley lineup that they've stuck with since then, barring the one game that Hardaway was out with injury. They've strangely been playing at a slower pace. Do you guys have any reason why this is? Do you think that it's been hurting them offensively? Is there How much of a factor has that been, do you think, for you? Because the lineup has still been playing perfectly well. It's just been a slower pace, which is antithetical to how the NBA has been going this season.
1: I think it is, like, I think it is a little bit of an issue, and we saw that come to be when they played Chicago on Monday. Like, you know, like we were saying, it just it just came to a screeching halt, and they didn't really seem to know how to develop. But I think they're also starting to figure out who is able to push the pace a little bit more on this team, and who is you know who is kind of more capable of just playing within a role. Um, we saw that out of A and again, how much that continues, we're not really too sure, but. They're, they are definitely playing to some of the other teams' paces. Like, their their defense is looking good at times as well, too, which is kind of, I think, contributing to some of the slower pace. But, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily hurting them so much, but I think certain players more on an individual set kind of have struggle uh, when they're not really contributing in a faster pace game. Kyle, yeah. yeah. do you
0: have anything on the matter? No, I mean, it's
2: it's not how you want this team to play. This team's supposed to play fast. Like we saw the first couple of games of the year, but um, I do think it's hurting them. I don't know. I'm just spitballing or speculating. I don't know if there's, you know, maybe he wants them to try to work out of the the half court a little bit more, the more it gets into the season. If uh, he's preaching all this developmental stuff and that's why he's willing to uh, sit in his canter type of player. But I, I, I don't know, but it, it you want to see these guys run. You know, this is the strength of their best player right now. Tim Hardaway Jr. is running. And um, it's just and I'd like to see him go back to that. That's how they started the year. It was a lot of fun to watch those games. So I just hope they get back to that. Because their assist numbers are down. Uh, pace numbers are down. So it's just, it's a very strange offense right now.
0: Yeah, we had a great piece on the site by Jack Huntley, the rising star, Nick's nuance, about how the Knicks are second to last in assists per game and some of the reasons why that has been. And a lot of that's because of the lineup changes. Some of it is just because of the flow of the offense, the way that the Knicks tend to operate. So those are a couple of things I'll be keeping an eye on in the next few games to see if that changes at all and where the Knicks end up ranking in those pace possessions. Uh, are, the, are the doggos back alive, Kyle? Yeah, they they made their way upstairs and then decided they,
2: they didn't want it anymore. And then they it's went. It's just a matter of time.
0: All right, I have a rant to go on about tanking. So do you guys have anything else you want to talk about about the game? Because we can come back to the game. But if there's anything else about the game that you want to talk about before I go on this, please speak now or forever hold your peace.
1: Please, Matt, there's nothing I want to hear more than a rant from you.
0: Okay, so here's what I'm going to say. The way that the lottery odds have flattened this year, I said this this morning, I tweeted this out, the Knicks can be the eighth worst team in the NBA and still have a shot at jumping up into the top four that's higher than it's been in the past. So we had some people mentioning, and I think this is perfectly fine to think, if you think that the Knicks are a little better than we're giving them credit for, I think there's reason to believe that based on their underlying numbers, because they've lost so many close games that they're due for some positive regression and that they'll end up winning some of the close games. We saw them win a close game tonight. but. We can still watch all of these Duke guys because there was obviously the huge game last night where Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and Cam Reddish went out and just completely decimated Coach Cal and the Kentucky Wildcats. I was completely enamored. I usually hate Duke. I'm going to struggle to hate them this year just because that's going to be so fun. But you guys need to understand, and I I think this goes for all of us, and when we think about the, the draft, the Knicks are going to be a lottery team. The way that the lottery works this year is in favor of lower teams being able to jump up into the top tier and still acquire a great player. And even if you don't think the Knicks are that bad, please find me five teams that are worse than them. I think the Cavs are worse. I think the Suns are worse. I think the Hawks are worse. Maybe the Bulls. And you could argue with the sums. I'm not totally sold on that one. But then after that, you're looking at Dallas. Washington's down there right now. They're not going to stay down there. You're looking at Orlando. Sacramento, too. Sacramento's been up the there. I think yeah. Sacramento is clearly better, but they could pretty easily regress. No, I
1: think um, they're better than the Knicks right now. I think they jumped a tier. I would agree.
0: I would agree. There's simply not that many teams at the very, very bottom. Because it's Cleveland, Phoenix, Chicago, Atlanta. New York because even Dallas they're struggling and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they perform poorly mostly because they have a sieve at point guard and Dennis Smith but the other teams that are in the lottery right now are Minnesota Utah the Lakers the Rockets the Pelicans and the Nets and those teams are clearly better than the Knicks clearly so when it comes down to it for this Knicks team Get as excited as you want for these draft picks. Now, make it happen now. Watch college basketball and know who the guys that the Knicks could pick are because they're going to have a high pick in this draft. If they get unlucky with the lottery odds, then that's just how it goes. But there's no reason for us to think the Knicks would draft any later than, and even if they end up with the seventh best lottery odds, which I don't even think is that likely because I think they'll be worse than that they still have a 7.5% chance to jump into the first spot and about a 25% chance to jump into the other three top spots. So you're looking at almost a 30% chance, 33% chance that the Knicks hop into the top four of this draft, which would mean getting the right to draft one of these Duke guys. And we're looking at other prospects here too. It's important to understand that it's not just the Duke guys. Romeo Langford out of Indiana. Masir Little out of North Carolina. There are a ton of exciting prospects at the top of this draft that we should be excited for and are allowed to be excited for right now, while also enjoying the next season as a whole. So I would encourage all of you, get involved with college basketball. It's a fantastic sport. If it's something that you haven't really spent time to watch up to this point, enjoy it and go out of your way to watch some of these guys play and see who you think would fit with this Knicks team while also continuing to enjoy this Knicks season. Because guess what? Tanking can be fun if you're playing all the young guys. The Knicks are playing only young guys, which makes it a blast because you don't have to waste losses without gaining any experience. They're gaining experience in every turn, in every facet of the game these players are learning. And the Knicks are losing some close games, but then they also win one. So they win one in Atlanta. They win one in Atlanta tonight, and some people will be saying, oh, what are they doing? Why are they winning? You know what? Stop. doesn't matter. If the Knicks finish fifth or sixth, the difference between one spot in this draft, the odds are simply not different enough this year for us to freak out about that. I don't want that to be a thing, and that's that's basically all I have to say on it, and that's something we're going to talk about all season long, but the crux of my argument is, please. Don't be openly rooting for this tank. We can always make the jokes, and I'm always here for the jokes. I'm always here for it. The Knicks are going to organically tank. They're going to lose games because they're playing young players, and that's going to lead to them getting an exciting young talent from a really great, enticing young prospect group that's going to take the NCAA by storm this year. That was my thoughts on the matter.
1: I mostly agree with you. So just to put it into perspective, the – we ran a poll earlier today on the on the next wall Twitter and 49% say bottom five, uh, 27 say bottom eight, 9% say bottom 14 and then 15% say bottom three. So I think we're would you kind of put yourself in that kind of, I don't know, two through five category, Matt?
0: Yes. Bottom okay. five is the safest bet. I, would I wouldn't say so be, as well. I wouldn't say it's out of the realm that they finished bottom three. But, I mean, Cleveland is a lock to finish down there, and I think Phoenix just beyond, you know, they have Booker and Aiton who are going to continue to play well, and they've had a tough schedule thus far. I think Chicago and Atlanta are really bad, too. So I think the Knicks anywhere between three and five makes the most sense in my mind, yes.
1: Yeah, and I think it's going to take some getting used to the new lottery odds, and I, I agree that, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams who are kind of closer at the bottom here than the last couple of years. So I think the odds are going to be a little bit more even, and this is going to be a fun Knicks team. And I think there are a lot of players this year in the NCAA that we can be looking at. Um, It's going to be interesting to see who the next piece we're going to be adding on is. Um, I don't know, maybe at the early running so far, do you think that like what, what kind of player do you think the Knicks
0: should be eyeing out for next year? Well, that's the cool thing about the three Duke guys. And I think that's why they're the most exciting prospects. is because they are your prototypical NBA players that are playing in college. And all three of them could step into the NBA right now and be contributors, which is going to be a big argument against the one and done, which we'll see if that ever is eliminated. But this Duke team is just going to be ridiculous this year. But with Zion Williamson, you have a 6'8, 285 tank of a man that got recognition for his dunks has almost 2 million followers on Instagram, which is insane for a college player, but he can handle the ball. He can pass the ball. He can also shoot, which I think people were kind of, that was the worry that he couldn't really be a shooter. RJ Barrett was incredible last night. He had over 30 points. He dished the rock. He has just a, a remarkable touch around the rim. And then reddish is more of the understated guy that contributes in some ways that don't exactly jump off the stat sheet. When it comes to it, I think that whatever wherever the Knicks end up with this draft, I think it's going to go Zion, Barrett, Reddish. I think those will be the order that these guys end up getting drafted in, and that's me saying this in November. That could pretty easily change. I could see Barrett jumping, although um, it'd be really tough for a team to pass on Zion after what we've seen from him, but I think that uh, I don't even necessarily think those guys will be the top three. There, Like I said, there are other players that could come into play here, but I just want us to all understand that we can be excited about these guys while also not thinking that the Knicks are some awful tanking team that we don't want to watch. We need to understand it's a whole conglomerate of angles that we can enjoy this from. And just one of those angles is us talking about the college players and another is us talking about the young Knicks players. These things go hand in hand. But when you watch the college guys, it's just so much fun to think about their potential with the Knicks. And it's frustrating to think, that we we won't really be able to get to see this for another year, so we have to watch them play, and then we go through the whole draft process. But it's still exciting, and I'm really excited for college basketball season. And like I said, I, I'm going to be into it. So I, I'd encourage all of you out there if it's something you haven't really been into before, give it a try. If you have some free time on your hands, it's a Tuesday night, and Duke's playing a great ACC matchup against Syracuse. Those are the kind of games I encourage you guys to watch. It's fun. Kyle, do you have anything on the draft? You've been quiet because I was ranting. So thanks for giving me the the floor here, guys. No, I actually made sure I watched
2: last night, and that was a ton of fun. And I'm glad that I did. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't even want to think about who I would want more right now because uh, both uh, Barrett and Zion were just incredibly enticing. Zion's built like a refrigerator with wheels. That guy just moves down the court. It's just it's the wildest thing, and he's graceful. He's got a nice touch on his handles, and uh, just like you see, you see all the highlights. Everybody by now has probably seen all his his YouTube or Instagram highlights, and it's different when you see it on a, a bigger stage where the competition's better. And um, you know, anybody that seemed to have any worries about his game actually translating onto a, a legitimate playing field, a legitimate court. I mean, Kentucky's no pushovers, and. Um, it it should have gone away because he he looked tremendous. Um, he did a little bit of everything, and then obviously Barrett was just the best player out there last night. So, um, I, I don't I, I think about this a lot. Everybody seems to have one guy that they're pulling for. Hey, there's a lot of Zion only people, a lot of Barrett only people, a few reddish people. But I, I just want to keep watching Duke and just talking myself into hopefully landing one of these.
0: It'll be fun, and like I said, there's other guys. Watch North Carolina, watch Kansas with with Grimes. They have there's other players out there that are going to be a blast to watch too. So I just wanted to get that in. You know what I want to say too about the draft odds Yes,
2: go ahead. Um, I don't I don't know why Knicks fans first of all it's one of the worst angsty things you guys can do is just to tweet angrily about wins and losses that we never had any control over anyway. Just the chips are like it. I understood. I said this on the last, but I I understood getting upset the Shane Larkin year, like that, that was a, a just dreadful, dreadful year. So every loss mattered more and it ended up working out for us. Right. But the thing was, we had the second worst odds at the, uh, the second best odds at the time. And where did we draft that year, Matt? We drafted fourth, fourth. The, the, the odds didn't work in our favor though. We did get Porzingis. but the odds didn't work in our favor where uh, we should have gotten the second pick or uh, any, anything like that. Right. So that was, that that's one. And then what, what was it? What was it? Um, the Neil Akini. Was it the Neilakini Akini or this year? It was the Neilakini Akini year, right? When they, nobody had moved, uh, moved back from seven to eight in, I don't know how many years.
0: And when the Knicks moved back seven to eight. Yes. Yes. Because they moved, they they lost the coin toss with the Minnesota Timberwolves.
2: Yeah. And, and then the, and then this year, I think they just, they, uh, did they have the eighth or ninth? Best? They stayed uh, in their spot this year. They stayed. Okay. So we we whine about getting the best percentage and the best percentage doesn't really work out so far. It's not like, it's not like we got a taste of it, like Cleveland, where we got a couple of ridiculous first round picks or even like, or like a uh, first overall picks or even one. Like we just, it just hasn't worked out that way. We just didn't get like the big break. So I, I don't know why we're acting so, so thirsty for something as though it's such a sure thing. Like we got KP at four when the odds didn't go in our favor. Like it, the draft is random, a lot of the time statistically about who's going to panned out in terms of being an impact starter and beyond that, a star or anything like that. The odds are very low, for these guys to just pan out in general. So I, it's, it's irregular at all the different, uh, the draft spots you can get anyway. It's just, you just got to do your homework and control what you can control. Really just getting mad about it all year. I'm just seconding what, what Matt's saying now, but just getting mad about any of that is just mm-hmm. really a fruitless exercise.
1: Yeah. It's all about the odds. Yeah, you, know, you never know how the other team yeah. of the league are gonna finish. You can only do what you can with your team. And I'm totally of the opinion that you can actively root for a team to win games and also be tanking at the same time. Like in my it's like two separate things. Like I trust more of the management team to be to handle the tanking, you know? Put together a roster that is well that the contracts are well constructed enough to the point where you know these guys are gonna expire when you need to get the real help but you can still try pieces out and see what you got there. And if they end up succeeding, then that's not a bad thing. You know, it can't all be for the draft pick. And at the same time, like I'm, I'm, I'm out, I'm totally in favor of the coaches and the players encouraging winning because how else are you going to go out on the floor and actually try and actually learn and try to, you know, improve your craft if you're not trying to be the best you can be. So Absolutely. I, I think there's very valid points to both sides. And I think there's a conjunction you have to kind
0: of find between them. I think I watch the Knicks most, like most Knicks fans do. If they win, sure, that's good. If they lose a game, okay, that's fine too. I, I don't get too high or too low because mm-hmm. there aren't any expectations. It's all about the signs from the young guys. But a game like this in Atlanta that they win, we saw some nice signs from Trier continue to progress. You know, we saw Frank have a great game defensively and then had a nice scoring, you know, kind of run there. Just don't get all up in a tizzy about the wins and losses. Check out the lottery odds on Tankathon and make you feel better, I promise, because the Knicks are going to be in about the position that we expect them to be naturally because it's not a talent enough roster to rack up enough wins. It's the reality of the situation. They're going to lose a bunch of games, especially once January, February hits. It's always that point of the year where we're like, oh, maybe the Knicks are a little better than we think. And then they go on the road and they play denver and utah and portland and both la teams and then all of a sudden we're like oh yeah that's what happens when you play the rest of the nba that actually has you know a, a semblance of of winning
1: yeah i i wholeheartedly DNA. agree with that and i think that's my point really well summarized because i'm just like i trust that this team is going to be bad enough that i can feel good when we actually get a win you know like i think that's just what it comes down to i think it's that You know this this roster is a growing roster and they have a lot of holes to fill and they have a lot of things to figure out. And that's just going to lead to losses. So when they do actually have games where they figure it out and they look pretty good out there, it's okay for us to celebrate that.
0: And they're going to be able to add a great player in the draft either way. I have one final thing before we get out of here that I just want to make a point of because I thought about this today. It's baffling to me That no Knicks head coach in the last 15 or 20 years has thought to bring in all of these stars from the past. We've seen Fizz bring in Bill Bradley, Patrick Ewing. He had Clyde speak to the team. Bernard King spoke to the team today and was at the game. Why has no other coach done this? Is every other coach just an idiot and Fizdale some genius? Or is it just like a New York curse that was cast no. upon the likes of Mike D'Antoni no. and Larry Brown that went elsewhere and did great things? Like, how did no one else think to do this? It's the perfect PR move, and it earns Brownie points. Larry they Brown's stopped. a wild pick to pick out of there. Because he had success elsewhere. I'm saying that they, they came did. to New York and they were just
2: dumb. They did think to do it, though. Clyde's been talking about this shit for Years. Forever. Years. Clyde's been talking about this as long as I've been alive and watching Knicks games. He's been talking about the Knicks need to bring back some of the stars to work with the player players and, and develop and they just haven't done it. And I, I think what happened here and it, it seems to be the vibe of uh, the organization as a whole from the front office to the PR to the social media that, they're trying to push it to new culture. So I think they finally realized like, "Hey man, we got a safe face." So like, what do people want to hear? So it just seemed like they were trying to have all the buzzwords and things, and they said, "Oh, while we're at it, like Knicks fans are very nostalgic, like you should make it an effort." Like I I don't know how coordinated of an effort it was. I don't know if it's just a general message that they wanted to push and then let Fisdol get creative, but um it just it seems to just match the the tone of the organization as a whole is just making this big culture push so i don't know whose idea it was um i'd hope that somebody just fucking listen to Clyde and let Fizdale take the credit at this point i just want Clyde to just get his due because he's been saying that forever that poor man just speaking into the abyss every night <laughs> so so um it, it's it's nice to see and it's always we're a nostalgic bunch because that's all we have for prior successes but it's nice to see these guys back and, and trying to help out and contribute towards something.
0: I love when Clyde watches someone like Trey Young because Clyde doesn't watch any twenty eight percent from three this year. What's he doing shooting a three that deep? <laughs> like dude, Trey Young. Like that's all he did in college. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I think that's right, why dude. I love Clyde. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's the best. And from all indications, like when they met with Bernard King, Bernard King just seems like the sweetest man you'd ever meet in your entire life. Like, it just seems like so such an obvious move that no other coach has done before. Did you see when uh, last year,
2: I think it was last year, he wrote his book and they had him at the garden with his book and uh, they put him on the, the big screen and it might've been the year before, but anyway, they put him on the big screen, big screen at the garden and he like waves and then he forgets he has his book. And he does it like he was in a commercial like he had one hand on the bottom of the book one hand on the top and was like right next <laughs> to his face and he just like held it up mm. he was smiling a lot and I think what makes me even more happy about that is don't forget like Bernard King had some really really hard times he did. Uh, in, the, in the NBA injuries and, and drugs yeah, yeah so yeah. a man like so, that white stuff Yeah when when you when, yeah, when you hear is uh when you hear him tell a story like it's really it was a really depressing time he was depressed and so to see him like happy and like around the team and working in some capacity like he wrote his book and
0: he's thrilled about that
2: No, it just makes me
0: really really happy for him so it's great and i will say too the basketball lord above all zach lowe said in his piece about the wizards yesterday that the knicks quote got religion so it's been signed sealed and delivered that this is a new knicks team with a new brass that isn't dumb because he was talking about trading for John Wall and he was like, it appears that the Knicks have got religion. No, but don't, don't be, do that. Don't roll out James Dolan if they strike out on free agents. So we can only we can only take on so much, right? We'll take what we can get.
1: There's a part of me that thinks that James Dolan is finally beginning to realize that he doesn't know shit about basketball. Part of it's me. Possible. There's a part of me. Just a
0: little shred. We haven't heard from him in, in forever, which not. is the best thing we can ask for. Also a little scary. Yeah. All right, guys. Kyle, anything to plug for the Yep,
2: so obviously make sure at the you're just checking out all of our great content, all of our great features, the previews, the articles. Uh, Anything that goes up there is gold, so make sure you're always tuning in and checking that out daily. Uh, Make sure after you get done with this, if you're not already subscribed to subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star rating and review. We appreciate that. It helps us continue to do what we do. We all um, love and you for that. Yes. Yes. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our Twitch channel, We're trying to do our pregame 2k shows on there. So it's twitch.tv slash the Knicks wall. So Easy. we just generally play out the, you know, upcoming matchup of that evening. And we'll just try to play it out to the staff members and talk a little Nicks with you guys. So join us there. We're, uh, wouldn't say weaning off Periscope, but we're just trying to see what works and experiment a little no, bit. So go over there. Yep. We're so um, there. so do that, and then the last thing is always, you know, we, we got you for the merchandise. So go to T Public, uh, the Knicks Wall Shop, and just check out everything we got there. Right now we got all the new jerseys in. So uh, another big game for ISOZO tonight. So we got you with the ISOZO
1: right, jersey. Let me, let me tell you one thing real quick because. What's that? I got my uh so the i uh, got I got it on the way. It hasn't showed up yet, but uh you know, I live in Chicago. Anyone who's been listening to the show for a while knows that, and I needed to get a new hoodie because it's getting cold in Chicago right now, and I prefer a zip up one. I like black zip up hoodies, and T public makes some pretty sweet uh, zip up hoodies where they print the design right on the back of it. so. I got John Starks dunk uh, right on the back of my hoodie now. And everywhere I walk in Chicago, people just get to look at me and look at John Starks dunking over their hero, Michael Jordan and Horace Grant. I know there's some discrepancy over whether or not he dunked over Jordan, but it's on the back of my, but it's on the back of my hoodie and they get to see that when I'm walking around and they don't say shit to me and it's great. So let's dunk over Chicago together and buy some Dick's wall merch.
0: Corbin in just a black hoodie is good enough with that design on it. Oh, my God. I don't know oh. how Chicago handles it. Bro. Unreal. <laughs> All right. With that being said, Knicks are back in action on Saturday in Toronto. Going to be a tough one against the 10 and one Raptors. But we will talk to you guys on Monday.